0: Today's scripture lesson is from the book of Obadiah, verses 10 through 16. For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off his fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, all the nations around you shall drink. They shall drink and gulp down and shall be as
1: though they had never been. Well, we are on the final day of our uh, series on major messages from minor prophets. And it's a bit of a doozy. You know, we've, we've come a long way from Amos to Micah to Hosea, and now we are hitting Obadiah. Fun fact about Obadiah. Um, I'm not sure if this was just a joke or if it was true but uh whenever i was born my parents wanted or my dad wanted to name me obadiah yeah they were looking through biblical names and uh obadiah stuck out as one of those that you just you you know you hear it and you're like okay that's definitely an older name and uh he but he wanted he wanted me to be called obadiah because he's a big star wars fan and he wanted to be able to call me obi-wan uh, that's, I, I digress. That's neither here nor there. Obadiah is a fascinating book, though. Now, one of the uh, more interesting facts about it, uh, well, one interesting fact about it is that it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's one chapter long, if you could even call it that. Just a couple of verses here. Um, and that's it. Obadiah has a pretty simple message, too, but it's a very powerful one. It's a message Of brotherly care now in order to fully comprehend what Obadiah has to say to the people we need a bit of a history lesson and I feel like whenever we get into these history lesson moments that uh, sometimes people can get a little bit bored like oh my gosh why on earth do I need to understand all of this history well um, to be perfectly honest without it the verses in Obadiah will be very confusing and won't make hardly any sense The history bit of this helps us understand why Obadiah is saying what he is saying. For instance, did you know that Obadiah in this book is speaking to the nation of Edom? He is. Did you know that Edom are a people related to the people of Judah? They are. The history lesson that we have to understand goes back a really long time to the children of Isaac and Rebekah. So you may recall, there's Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah end up having a child in their older age, a child named Isaac. And Isaac has uh, an interesting bit of life uh, within him, but he ends up um, marrying a woman named Rebekah, and they have two children, twins, Jacob and Esau or rather Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first, Jacob born immediately after, and in the words of Scripture, Jacob was born gripping the heel of Esau. Uh, That's where uh, his name comes from, gripping the heel. Uh, But anyway, so there's Esau and Jacob. Esau's descendants later become the people of Edom. Jacob's descendants later become the people of Israel and Judah. And so, through a long lineage that some people might uh, push aside as way too long for anybody to care about, we begin to see this dramatic connection between two people groups here, Edom and Judah. Esau and Jacob. So let's go into Jacob and Esau's story a little bit here, just as a refresher. So Esau and Jacob are born, twins. Uh, Esau becomes the uh, hunter-type person, the one who focuses more on the animals. And Jacob becomes more of the gatherer-type person, the one who focuses more on the vegetables. And Isaac, their father, prefers Esau because Esau's, number one, the firstborn, and there was just this preferential treatment for the firstborn, and also uh, Isaac liked the fact that Esau was this like tough, grizzly, burly man, whatever, likes hunting and building decks and stuff like that. I don't know. Anyways, so that's Esau. Jacob, being the gatherer type and you know leaning more on the vegetables and whatnot, he is preferred by his mother, Rebecca. Uh, a little bit of a mama's boy, you know, it's whatever, it is what it is. As they grow up, uh, they know, they both know something that's just inherent to to their culture, that the firstborn will receive what's called the birthright, which is a double portion of inheritance from the father, as well as the jurisdiction of all of the land that belongs to the family. And so both Jacob and Esau know that this inheritance is going to Esau. However, number one, Esau doesn't really care about it. He's more like, I just wanna do my own thing and be my own person, whatever. Jacob is more like, wait, I kinda want that. And Rebecca really wants Jacob to have it. So um, late after a, a long hunting time, Esau comes back from a hunt and is just famished, absolutely famished. And he, uh, and he asks Jacob for a bowl of stew that he had been making. And Jacob sees this as an opportunity and says, well, if you want this stew so much, then give me your birthright. And you, know, you, can, you can probably just vision here, balancing the scales between the birthright of the inheritance of the firstborn child and a bowl of stew. Um, it seems like a pretty much a no brainer, but Esau, once again, he doesn't really care about his birthright, and he's more of the instant gratification kind of person says, Fine, you can have it, whatever. I'm taking that stew. And so uh, that Esau kind of hands over his birthright, but Isaac's not really all about it. Isaac is like, Isaac the father is kind of like, No, nah, that's not really how things work, but Isaac's getting on up there in age. His sight has begun to diminish, and he knows that his life is coming to an end. And so he's getting prepared to hand the birthright to Esau. However, their mother, Rebecca has a plan and decides to dress Jacob up like Esau and even puts more hair on him to make him feel like his brother, who's apparently really hairy and whatnot, and sends Jacob in to see Isaac on Isaac's deathbed. Isaac grabs his hand and gives him the birthright, blesses him and says, this inheritance belongs to you, thinking that it's Esau, but it's really Jacob. And so Jacob then becomes the heir to the, tradition, to the uh, covenant that was passed down from Isaac's father Abraham, onto, from Abraham to Isaac, and now to Jacob, when it was supposed to go to Esau. Um, Esau is a little upset about this, but after a long time, they end up making amends, and Esau ends up marrying uh, two, two Hittite women. Long story, neither here nor there. But anyways, the people of uh, Esau's descendants begin to expand in one region, and they become the people of Edom. The people of Jacob's descendants become the people of Israel. Um, and you know, there's the whole slavery in Egypt thing then the trek to the promised land and then the growth of a great nation and then comes the uh, exile by the invasion of the Assyrians and Babylonian armies and uh, a lot of time has passed but God has not forgotten this, this heritage God has not forgotten this familial connection between Jacob and Esau between Judah and Edom and so then we get to Obadiah Now, Obadiah is a prophet uh, during the time after which Israel has already been overthrown by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians have been overthrown by Babylon, and most of Judah has already been conquered by Babylon, and there are a few people left in Judah, people like Obadiah, and Obadiah uh, begins to witness something as the people of Judah begin to flee the city trying to escape being captured by the Babylonians and sold into slavery, the Edomites, the people from Edom, begin to rise up around them and would capture these uh, refugees from Judah. They would capture them and sell them to Babylon. And that's how uh, Edom begins to make a profit, by capturing the runaways from Judah. And so Obadiah sees this and passes on this message from God, this entire, this one chapter here, that's it, and pretty much says, Edom, what on earth are you doing? How can you treat your brother that way? Because remember, Edom and Judah are related, a brotherly relationship from Esau and Jacob. And God says, How can you do this to your brother? Because you have done this to your brother, it will be done to you as well. And that comes later on. But that's really the whole, the the gist of the story of how we get to Obadiah. I know, it's a long one. I already feel like I've been talking way too long, but the history is important to develop this context so we understand what Obadiah's message means for us. And it becomes this question of understanding who is, my brother? Who is my sister? Who are those people whom I should be caring for and looking after like they are my own family? Well, we have stories like the Good Samaritan, which we heard in the, uh, in the children's moment, although I kind of butchered it by putting the Good Samaritan in the wrong part of the story. <laughs> Anyways, we have uh, messages like this where Jesus says, it's the people you don't think about. Those are the people who, who are just as deserving of your love as the people whom you think about every single day. It's the people whom you don't want to love. Those are the people who matter. And so we, we need to start asking this question for ourselves. Who is my sister? Who is my brother? Who are those people whom I should be loving unconditionally, even though I either, for whatever reason, don't feel they deserve it or don't want to love them because it's too hard, or would rather just ignore them because there's too much chaos going on in the world for me me to even handle in my own anxiety levels. But guess what? God is calling us to love. I don't know if you are able to, you know, process this from the entire story of the Bible, but every single moment from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, all the way to the very end, the entire story is the story of humanity's call to love one another, to be there for one another, to care about one another. Most importantly, most importantly, to care about those whom we might not think about on a daily basis. To care about those who might not pop into our head first, we must be asking the question, who is my sister? Who is my brother? Who are those people who I should be caring about at all times? And as we start asking this question, we might start to unveil a certain amount of our heritage as human beings. You see, Just as Judah and Edom are very different people groups, their own history ties back to a point of brotherhood. Of actually of two brothers who bicker just like any other two brothers might, who have uh, a moment of reconciliation, even. Back to these two brothers. This family connection. And It's kind of fun, but if you've ever done anything like uh, Ancestry.com or 23andMe or any of those uh, types of services which allow uh, people to connect with extended family, we start to realize that we are all connected, that each and every one of us are connected to one another. And whenever I say us, whenever I say that each and every one of us are connected to one another, I mean every single human being on the face of the planet is connected in some way, shape, or form that we could uh, scarcely imagine sometimes. All tracing ourselves back to the love of God that unites each and every one of us, that brought each and every one of us into existence. And so as we think about, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who are those people whom I need to be caring about even though I might not want to? I want us to think about the message that's present in Obadiah. So remember, Judah, the people of Judah are fleeing. They're running away from the Babylonian empire that's trying to overwhelm them. And as they're running away, the people of Edom step up and start capturing these refugees, these people who are looking for shelter, these people who are leaving their country because their country is a war-torn area and running to find some amount of safety, and they are being captured and imprisoned and then sold to the enemy already, sold to the very people whom whom they were fleeing from. And God says, what are you doing? How could you treat another human being that way? How on earth could you think of another person as less than yourself? We get into into our scripture lesson today, and this is God speaking to to the people of Edom. Verse 10, For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, to your brother Jacob, a.k.a. the people of Judah, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever on the day that you stood aside on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem you too were like one of them what makes you any different from the people who are doing harm what makes you any different from the from the dictators and tyrants who are tormenting innocent people in their homeland god says but you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. In other words, how could you? How could you look upon another human being and say that the hardship they are suffering doesn't matter? We go through a couple more you should not Verse 13, you should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. In other words, these are people suffering and you're making it worse. Where in our society today do we have brothers and sisters suffering, and we stand by and make it worse. Verse 14 carries on, you should not have stood at the crossings to cut off his fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of his distress. In other words, how could you? How could you stand there when these people are running for their lives, seeking some sanctuary? seeking refuge, seeking asylum, seeking a new life away from their war-torn home and treated them the way that you have, locked them in cages, left them to die in prison, sold them for your own profit. These are human beings. These are your family. For the day of the Lord is near against all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. My friends, God cares about each and every human being on the face of this planet. It doesn't matter if they are black or white or brown-skinned. God appreciates them just as they are. God cares about each and every person on the face of this planet. It doesn't matter if they come from the United States of America or another country. God loves them just the way they are. We as Christians, we as people who say that we love God and that we follow Jesus, need to recognize right here, right now, the role that we have played in the suffering of our sisters and brothers, whomever they may be. We need to own up to it in the way that Edom would not, and we need to play a part in the restoration of each and every one of them. I found this sentiment very interesting, thinking about how Obadiah relates to the Christian message. And I realized something, and it's something others have realized as well Jesus was executed. Crucified on a cross, we know this. Jesus was executed. But do you know why? Jesus was not executed for the people whom he left out. Jesus was executed for the people who he included. For the people who he sat and ate dinner with. For the people whom he loved on. The people whom he performed miracles for for the least, the lost, the lonely, and the unloved, for the oppressed people, not because he was making all buddy-buddy with the wealthy people and the people in power, but because he was there with the people who were oppressed, the people who were being tormented by a heritage of cruelty done to them. Our call as Christians is to treat people with compassion, each and every one of them, not to use people for our own gain, not to treat any individual as less than we would treat ourselves. Our call as Christians is to be a people of love. And I feel like too often we hear that message. We hear that we're supposed to be a people of love, and yet we sit idly by saying, it's not my problem. Somebody else will take care of it. Or everybody's important. Why can't we all just be nice and get along? We are not a people called to sit around waiting on the world to change by itself. If you have read one verse of the Bible, then you know this to be true. We are called to be a people of action, a people who treat others with compassion, with respect, with dignity. We are called to be a people who love unconditionally, not just when it's convenient for us, but at all times because we can recognize what happens when we don't love people unconditionally. Because when we don't love people unconditionally, then we see the exact same thing that happened to Judah happening all around us. We see the people in power torturing those who are running for their lives. We see the senseless murder of innocent people, of people who did not deserve to lose their lives. We see the imprisonment of people without cause, we see a society rise up looking for any excuse to tear down those who already aren't even in power and to bolster the power of those who have already been in power. Jesus was executed for whom he included would we be willing to go through the same? And so I hope that today we will ask ourselves, whom have we forsaken? Who are those people in our own community that we have said they're less than? They don't matter as much as us. They are different from us. Who are those people that we continue to say are not as human as we are? Because we do it every single day. It's heartbreaking. It breaks the heart of God when we fail to love unconditionally. And so, my challenge for each and every one of us today is to learn the word philia. Philia. It's a old Greek word. It's one of the words used for love. It's, uh, it's part of the word for Philadelphia, which if you know anything about Philadelphia, then you know that that's the city of brotherly love Philia is the Greek word for brotherly love. It's an interesting kind of love. It's different from agape love, which we should be called to anyway, but it's a sort of starting point for us, for us to look upon other people and see them as our brother or sister, to see them as the people who matter to us, to include them in our family, Who are those people we have forsaken because those are the people whom right now we need to start saying, you're part of my family, and I love you, and I will do anything for you. It's the call of Christians, my friends. So let us be Christians, people who live into love. Let us be a people who stand up for the oppressed, who rescue the refugee, who stand up for those without a voice, who are present when oppression is so evident and even when it's not. Let us be people of brotherly love. Let us pray.